Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, host of the RouterFlex podcast and founder and CEO of our day job recruiting firm, RouterFlex. We hope you enjoy this episode. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the podcast for updates and news. Finally, if you haven't already, check out the series of books we've published on hiring, interviewing, and overall career advice titled The RouterFlex Guide, available on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Most homeowners don't have the time or expertise to properly take care of their home, which causes costly issues to arise. That's where Cura Home Maintenance comes in. We're a full-service, routine maintenance company that was developed by a certified home inspector. Each quarter, we service our clients' homes following manufacturer's recommendations to properly maintain all the necessary appliances. We provide the materials and expertise to prolong the life of your property, creating a healthy and efficient environment for your family. From top to bottom, we'll maintain and service your home. To get started, we have a property inspection to determine what needs to be maintained, and a maintenance plan is created based on your preferences. From refrigerator coils to filters, vents, and drains, we do it all, and we do it well. Contact us today for your free routine maintenance inspection and never worry about your maintenance again. All right, Alex Steinman on the RiderFlex podcast. Hello, Alex. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, thank you uh, for, for getting this thing scheduled. I'm anxious to find out about uh, Coven and find out uh, the whole story. Um, yeah. But for that i want to know about alex the person i want to know what's going on with alex what tell me alex okay. let's start from the beginning where are you from give me some family history parents siblings give me give me some early stuff for sure well i'm an only child um so no siblings but um lots and lots of friends who i consider family um my parents and i grew up in the suburbs of the twin cities um in minnesota um that's where my company is based and that's where I've kind of been most of my life I've done a lot of traveling but um but have always found roots here um my dad was in the military when I was born so I was actually born in Germany um which is kind of a fun fact but I remember nothing because we moved back when I was two um and uh and the rest is history growing up kind of in the Twin Cities area so um, I have a deep love for Minnesota. I met my husband in high school and we have been together since then. We got married after college. Um, we both went to the University of Minnesota um, and I studied uh, journalism and advertising and public relations and started my career really early in the advertising industry um, and PR. So I've been kind of in that creative industry for a really long time uh, before starting my business, which I know we'll talk about. Um, but on top of um, being married to the my high school sweetheart, we went to prom together. Um, cool. We have two amazing children, which you can see behind me, Cooper and Zoe. Um, Zoe is seven and Cooper is nine. So I stay really busy uh, as a entrepreneur and a mom um but we do we do our best my husband's also an entrepreneur so we have a really oh. interesting life of wow. <laughs> of new businesses and uh growing businesses and um i hope that we're sharing some of that insight and uh not driving our kids crazy i'm sure some of it will send them to therapy someday but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully they'll take something good out of uh, it did your i'm curious did your mom and dad meet while he was stationed in germany is that where they met or they were married before 
they were married. Well, they got married so that my mom could go to Germany with him um, and stay with him. So they met in college. Um, They both went to a small school in Fargo, um, Fargo Moorhead area. Okay. Okay, cool. And what'd your mom do? Um, My mom has worked in government for a really long time. Um, She was a corrections officer. um, So really helping people kind of re-enter after after coming out of prison or coming out of a sentence. Um, and now she works for Hennepin County in the public defender's office, kind of post um, post her federal retirement. Um, so now she's doing a lot of county work. And my dad um, has been a number of things, but his uh, life's work is kind of around healthcare and insurance. And so he was a financial planner for a while, um, but has worked in the insurance business um, and now has worked with a lot of different startups on their sales teams. And um, he has a real passion for making sure that we're connecting um, all communities to better healthcare solutions because I don't know if you know, but our healthcare system is pretty messed up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so he's found a passion in there and um, has an entrepreneurial spirit, has owned his own businesses in the past too. So learned a lot from him. Very cool. So the reason I ask about the parents is because usually that it, 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 you know, kind of bleeds into what you end mm-hmm. up becoming. So now, now I know where the entrepreneurial bug came from. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Um, you know, I've had, by the way, speaking of your mom and uh, helping people re-enter uh, the workforce after being incarcerated, for what, I don't know, just it just happened. I've had several people on the podcast lately that are either in organizations or that, that lead organizations that do that. And I've also had several people on the podcast that were incarcerated themselves and came out and then... Uh, you know, uh, changed their lives and shared their story yeah. on the podcast. Fascinating stories, fascinating stories. And so, uh, I have a big, uh, uh, my heart goes out to a lot of those, those folks. So I, I know your mom must be a very passionate, caring person to, to do that. She, kind of really, she really is. She really is. She went to school for social work. And so I think a lot uh, of the work okay. that she did as a probation officer was to make sure that people had um, someone to call um, when they were, mm, you know, yes. astray or someone, when they needed some support or help. And so, um, yeah, I think her job, you know, walked a line of, you know, making sure that, you know, folks were you know, doing the things that they needed to do so they could get back to get, get mm-hmm. back to their lives um, and also making sure that they had the resources to do so. And I know yes. that's always been a really strong passion of hers. I'm seeing that, um, seeing that even as she's entered kind of the, the county work um, in the public defender's office, it's coming to life in a new way, um, which yeah. is, which is really cool for her um, at this stage of, of her career. Um, but she is so passionate. I think if she wasn't, um, she didn't do the work that she does now. I think she would make a phenomenal teacher. Um, uh-huh. She's just uh i can't even say like a bleeding heart because i really do think like she she really knows how to compartmentalize and you kind of have to with that kind of career but um yeah she's a really empathetic um empathetic person and and a problem solver i think that's um that's really key in any kind of career like that that's awesome were you the perfect kid were you the straight a student never in trouble at the library every day or did you did you was there any any rebel stepping out and getting a little crazy in there what, what, what's going on alex no i was pretty straight laced uh <laughs> my parents were very strict um but i also just um yeah i mean they they had really high expectations of me and i think part of it is because both of them 
um, came from pretty humble beginnings and knew that, you know, the path out of um, that cycle is education and the path out of that cycle is support um, and having the like wraparound support from, from community and from family. And so my parents were really, really committed to my education, um, which made me really passionate about that work. I think, you know, personally, I'm, I'm a three on the Enneagram. If that means anything to you, I'm a, I'm an achiever um, and, uh, and an ENFJ in, uh, in the Myers-Briggs. So I, I do, I'm very extroverted. I'm a, I'm a big um, feeler. Um, And so a lot of those things like really impacted my life as I, as I grew up was, um, was really wanting to succeed and want, you know, A's were, (laughs) A's were the expectations. And I certainly delivered, um, you know, it wasn't without like struggle. Sometimes there are definitely subjects that I did better than others. Um, I like really excelled in English, um, but really did not do super well in math. Um, But I, I like found the resource. I think that's like one thing when I used to like coach, um, new freshmen in college, um, when I was kind of a junior, senior, Uh um, you know, people would start to struggle with these courses. And I would say like the university of Minnesota has the most resources like that you could ever ask for. So if you are not, and they're free. (laughs) So like, if you are not utilizing the resources of the university of Minnesota, like you're not uh, taking full advantage of your tuition. And so like find the writing center, find the career center, find the advisors who can help you along the way. I think, you know, I didn't do this, you know, alone. I just certainly didn't start a business alone. Um, I have three other co-founders, but I also have a ton of mentors and um, supportive advisors who've been with me along the way and at different journeys, different parts of my journey. So I think um, that's like one thing that I always coach people on is like, there are resources out there. You just have to find them and then not be afraid to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's how I got through math <laughs> was me, asking for help. <laughs> tell me about the lacrosse at the lacrosse at, at Minnesota. Did you play? Did you coach? Were you just part of the organization? What's the status there? Yeah. Oh, good question. Um, I don't get asked a lot about the sports that I played, but so I played, um, basketball growing up. I did gymnastics growing up. Um, and at some point my dad was my coach for basketball. And at some point I think I was like, I need to do something on my own. Um, and so I picked the most obscure sport you could possibly pick in Minnesota. Cause like it was brand new <laughs> when <laughs> I was in high school. Um, and so I picked lacrosse and, um, I made the university of Minnesota women's lacrosse team. It's a club team, um, because D one lacrosse for women in the Midwest didn't exist. I see. Um, and so I played competitively on, cool. on that team. I can't say I was like particularly like the best player or anything like that. I was definitely like a workhorse player, <laughs> um, but I like was, um, you know, on kind of the, the leadership team, um, as I grew up there and, um, and just, I really loved the sport. I loved the, um, That's awesome. the cardio of it. I loved the teamwork of it and the, the women who were a part of it, I think, because it was so new in Minnesota, Uh, it was one of those things that like, if you wanted to play, you had to work for it. Like you mm -hmm. had to fundraise, you had to, you know, find your own jerseys. You had to like do all of the administrative pieces of it. And I think maybe that was like an inkling of um, entrepreneurship there where it was like, uh, Hey, like this thing doesn't exist and we want it to be true. So let's vision and make it happen. Cool. I appreciate the fact that you have that on your LinkedIn profile. I, I, I encourage as a recruiter for a living, you know, I, I encourage candidates like, hey, if you if you played sports or athletics or you were involved in organizations or student government or whatever, like put that on your LinkedIn profile. It shows yeah. teamwork, 
you're volunteering, you're coachable, people skill. I mean, all of it, right. You know, uh, so I encourage, I always encourage people to put that on their profiles. I love the fact that it's on yours. Um, so, (laughs) um, okay. So coming out of school, did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or you thought, no, nah, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be like the the head of communications for a big company. What was, what was your plan? <laughs> well, um, I had a lot of plans. So when I went into um, college, I really wanted to be a theater major because I wanted to be oh. a show producer and I, I wanted to own a theater and oh. run a theater. Cool. Um, and then I took my first theater class in college, which was very different than theater in high school. And I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. <laughs> it was Why? so, in- it was so intense. And, uh, um, I okay. think a lot of the people who are like, were a part of that program wanted to be actors. And so like, mm-hmm. I was more interested in kind of the administrative piece of it or the, um, kind of back office piece of it. And in order to get to that, you had to also do a lot of the acting with a lot okay. of the actors. And I was like, I don't know that this, these are my people, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like they were in high school. It's just like a different, it's like a different level of intensity and, and gotcha. the drama of it all. So, okay. um, so while I still really appreciate theater, I love the arts and um, love supporting, supporting theater. Um, I switched majors to journalism. Um, okay. I had written for my high school paper. And so, you know, there's a lot of crossover between, you know, the creativity that's in, um, producing a theater show and the creativity that's involved in creating news um, mm-hmm. and making sure that, you know, the, um, it's readable and that people are interested in reading what it is that you have to say and share with the community. So um, I started in uh, kind of the J school and then um, picked the uh, PR track because I really enjoyed um, okay. like event production. I enjoyed um, my first job was like catering. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, I did a lot of um, was a, my first, like one of my first internships was at a wedding planning company and, um, yeah. another was at a, uh, wedding magazine. <laughs> so I had a lot of like experience kind of in the event space and PR was kind of adjacent to that. Um, and so I did, I had like seven internships in college. Like I said, like great. I was really resourceful. I love like learning, trying. Yep. I think the best thing for college students to do is to test and learn and hopefully Absolutely. even find what you, what you don't like. <laughs> I, I didn't like working yeah, in a newsroom. Yes. <laughs> yes, I could not agree more. And that's a good p- place for us to 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 take a pause for the listeners, yeah. especially the young folks. Like, yes, you know, the internships are great for networking and and making connections that might be able to help you later. But even more importantly, well, I don't know if it's more importantly, but in addition to the networking, yeah, it helps you decide what you don't want to do. <laughs> what you know, For you, sure. you thought you might have wanted to do that and you do an internship and you're like, hmm, no, I guess I don't really like that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. The newsrooms were like too um too stressful and the uh the wedding planning was like weekends um so so, you know you kind of like find your your thing and so after a while I kind of landed on um, PR and my first internship out of college was in a PR agency here in the Twin Cities called Carmichael Lynch Spong at the time um now it's called Carmichael Lynch Relate um and after about uh, I would say I think I was there for like six or eight months and then decided to move on to advertising and so I got a job my first job um first full paid non-internship job was as an account executive at um Fallon which is 
one of the um, most creative agencies, I think, in the world. I think they were um, cool. at the time had, were pretty large, um, one of the most well-known ones here in the Twin Cities. And mm. um, they have such a, a huge reach, a giant creative team. Um, they work um, really strategically and then have folks from all over the world who have been a part of their different teams. And so it was really um, interesting to me. And in fact, my first client in that role um, was Latin America Purina. And so I was doing like dog food in Spanish, <laughs> which um, I was a Spanish minor in, in I saw college. That. And so, yeah. yeah. So I think that, you know, they were like, oh, you must speak Spanish. I was like, I speak very little Spanish. And I remember my very first day, um, you know, I think I understand Spanish way more than I speak it. I, I think I it's, it's just a confidence issue. And so uh, my very first day on the job, one of the founders of um, Fallon, Fred, um, came to my desk and he said, hey, I've got this uh, nonprofit website that we're doing pro bono work on. Can you help translate it? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, uh-huh, yeah, I can yeah. do that. And so I called my best friend, Yuri, um, who I graduated with. She was in my wedding um, and she speaks fluent Spanish. She's a native Spanish speaker. <laughs> so I called her and was like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> and she helped me translate the website. Pretty funny. Oh, so I'll, I'll forever be grateful for Yuri and, uh, and her and her help that day. Um, but it, it's again, kind of leads into like that maybe entrepreneurial spirit where you're like, well, I don't know, but I think I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good uh you were there for at fallon for almost six years um tell me what happened what what how did you and i knew you were involved in some other some other volunteer stuff and some other board stuff it looks like but um what ha how did you make the transition to coven yeah. talk, talk to me yeah how did it happen <laughs> yeah well kind of naturally and then all at once um so it was a um you know I accelerated really quickly in the agency and I think part of it was because I assimilated to what the agency needed and asked for so which okay. the dominant culture in advertising agency is white and male um okay. and there were a lot of women who were working to to change that myself included my co-founders of the coven included okay. Um, but as I had, as I got married pretty young, I was 24. Um, I had kids. Um, I had my first kid at 25. So like pretty young for the agency world, which is typically like you prioritize your career until you're 35. And then maybe you decide to get married or have kids or never. And if you do have kids, then you, you know, at the time it was like, you kind of became irrelevant because a lot of times you would you know, or irrelevant in the eyes of the agency. It was like, well, you can't do these things. Like uh, if you're not going to prioritize work, then, you know, too bad. Um, and because it is a client service business, um, everything is in service of the client and everything is urgent. And so when you have a kid who has fever, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to like prioritize getting to the kid because your client is also, um, you know, has a, has an advertising emergency, which I say in quotes, because <laughs> there are no emergencies in advertising. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think the, the challenge I think for women in that industry at the time was that, you know, we kind of got to a, a level like mid-level or director level, and then kind of capped out. It was like, you either became too old or became, you had kids. And so then you were going to opt out of the industry and go right. to the client side where there was maybe a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. Um, and there certainly weren't um, very many people of color in leadership roles okay. um, or in kind of entry level positions. It was one of very few um, black women in 
uh, in my agency and in the Twin Cities industry, really, there weren't many of us. Um, And so there was this movement, um, if you're familiar with Lean In um, from Sheryl Sandberg, um, for women to kind of like, you know, lead and step in. um, And, you know, I think what I took away from lean, the lean in movement were a few things. One lean in, like leaned too hard into, well, women have to change. Women have to like do, you know, do extra work and women should, you know, like act like men in order to advance in their careers. And I, and I think it, after kind of, I subscribed to it for a minute and then it was kind of like, wait a minute, like the industry should change actually. Like we shouldn't have to sleep under our desks and shower at work. We shouldn't have to, you know, abandon our families um, for an advertising emergency. Like I feel like there were so many things that we were making accommodations for in order to stay in the industry. And it was having like an impact on our mental health and our relationships with family and friends on our ability to parent and, and raise families. And I think um, where I like, where it really hit me was when I had my daughter okay. Um and so I had my son first um, and I started to kind of participate in some of these activities around um, in, in kind of leading these uh, organizations that were working to get more women and people of color into the industry. And when I had my daughter, I was kind of looking at her being like, I don't think I could, I, I can't have this place be where I'm at all the time. Like I, I need, I need you to see me thrive. And I was uh-huh. not thriving in the I industry. Oh, you right. know, you need your kids to see you like um, see you thrive and, and enjoy what you do. And um, and I think, you know, at the time, uh, my co-founder, Aaron, tells this story all the time, um, how I was at her house one day and I came like just like kind of storming into her living room. And I was like, Aaron, like I found out today that when I started at Fallon five years ago, I was paid exactly what the uh, ratio is of white women to black women um it might like like i was literally like paid like 60 cents on the dollar whatever the stat is you know, it's like 60 or 70 cents on the dollar because of um, because of color or because of male versus female uh it was this was a uh uh women this was like color, see, so this would have been had to do with race Um, and we were both equal. (laughs) We were both like brand new, fresh out of college, first internship. And then like, we started like this and it just, you know, it like continues to grow. Right. So like that, that chasm continues to grow. And even though I was in a leadership position, I was paid, um, you know, I think relatively fair. I'm looking at, then I look at like what my peers are being paid and you're like, wait a minute, like this is, there's a gap here and, and we all have the same experience or I, you know, maybe in certain circumstances, I've proven myself um, to be worthy of, of that raise. And have were you uh, already, uh, I just want to ask you, sorry, I don't want to interrupt because I'm trying to think of, in my mind, my mind is racing about what I would have done, like how I would have reacted because I would have been super pissed. Uh, Did you, you, (laughs) did you like call somebody? Did you go see somebody? You're like, yo man, Hey, Hey, what, what, what's, this is not cool. Like, did you confront anybody? I'm just curious. Cause I'm, I'm thinking I would have had a big reaction to that. I don't know what I would have done, yeah. but. So there were a few things that happened were happening at the same time. Um, in 2016, my co-founder, my co-founders of the coven and I had like kind of started to get together and start to build this idea of the coven. We were like meeting at the library, like the, <laughs> the County library and like reading books on entrepreneurship and figuring out what okay. we were going to build together. So that was happening at the same time okay. that I found this out. Also, but you were um, still working well, there. You were still working there. I was there. still working. Okay. Yeah, right. I was still working right. there. Right. And then also, um, 
I had started to take on some freelance work on the side that was around um, political advocacy. So I was working on a couple of campaigns, um, a mayoral campaign for Minneapolis okay. and a city council campaign for Minneapolis. So I was doing some like side work there. This okay. is like the start of me doing too many things. And then <laughs> on top of that, um, uh, on top of that, I was starting to get some feedback from um, from like 360 reviews. And this was maybe in the spring of 2017. Oh, they did. Um, three, they did 360 reviews there. You might want to tell the audience what that is in case they don't know, by the way, real sure. quick. Yeah. Well, 360 review is where they kind of interview a number of people or have people take a survey, um, all sorts of people who interact with you. So it would be like your boss, anybody who direct reports to you, um, people who you're peers with, people across departments. Um, and they all kind of give input on the same scale. And then you get a chance to review that with your boss. Um, yeah, but you it's all confidential. Like, you don't you don't know who said what. Well, <laughs> most, of the, time. If you're, most, most of, of the time. I mean, I post some of the comments. You could be like, wait a minute. <laughs> I think I know who said that. Yeah. Um, but so in the 360 review that I got in 2017, um, and at this time, I was the communications director for the agency. So I was doing PR for the agency. Okay. And one of the things that um, came out was like people were saying that I was too self-promoting and that I had too much of an opinion and my voice was like too loud. And this is after years of kind of assimilating and like having reviews that said like you could do to say more about your opinion and you're too quiet. And so all of a sudden I like found my voice and they didn't like it. <laughs> and um, and again, like they were like, you're too self-promoting. I'm like, that's kind of my job is to be the like a voice for the agency as the PR person. <laughs> I am supposed to be talking to press. I am trying to get the get you um, get you recognized for your work. And so there was a lot of like dissonance. And I think I was starting to put the pieces together that it wasn't that it wasn't that my voice was too loud. It was just they didn't like my voice um, and that I had found it. And I think the more I was aware of my own power, um, the more it felt maybe threatening to certain people in in the agency and this isn't to say like the whole agency sucks like I really <laughs> I really appreciate a lot of the people who are there um and I think it's more of an industry issue right so I this see. isn't just like a one place problem this is a this is an entire industry issue um at the time and so while all of these things are happening I had a meeting with a founder um and this kind of gets to like what I was talking about before is having like advisors and other people who you can tap for for resources yes. but I had yes. a conversation with another founder who um, we were very early in coven stages. Like we, you know, we're just kind of getting the business plan put together. Just a plan. Um, no, you, hadn't, you hadn't like filed for the LLC. The entity wasn't created no. or anything. Just still idea phase. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And so I had, I, it was like the day that I got that 360 review and I happened to have coffee with this, this guy named Thompson Adder and Comey. He owns a company called nice healthcare. If you don't know about it, you should go check it out. It's based here in the twin cities. Cool. And I sat down with Thompson. He introduced me to the Montana gold uh, tea, which I was like forever. That's my favorite tea. <laughs> uh, but he says he was like, I'm like telling him about what's going on about with the coven and like what we're trying to build and what we're thinking about. I told him about the 360 review and just how like devastated I was that mm. like the work that I was doing wasn't appreciated and mm. that I felt like I had like gotten to the, the, I had gotten to the top, right. I was at elite as at the leadership table, but um, it wasn't, it wasn't a place that I really felt welcome. And he said, you have to quit your job. <laughs> I was like, huh? And he goes, he's like, you really have to quit your job. Cause you're doing all these other things. Like you started consulting with, uh, with political clients and that is like taking off and it's going well and you're getting filled up by that work. 
you're feel, you feel like you have a purpose. You have this new idea that I know is going to be successful. I can feel it in my bones. Like That's he nice. just gave me Good such affirmation. It's yeah. And yeah. it gave me such affirmation that That's like, great. Oh, this is not for me anymore. Like this, what this, I absolutely learned a ton from that part of my professional career. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of like the push out the door that I yeah. really needed to say, Hey, like, Yep. I need to close this chapter so that I can open something new um, and really go all in. And so mm-hmm. at that moment, that was probably the spring of 2017. Um, it was kind of the culmination of all of those things, which allowed me to really take a full leap into the coven, a full leap into my consulting work, which paid the bills for years. Yeah, I was just about to ask you, I'm, I'm assuming when you guys started the coven, you weren't getting paid a lot of money right away. No, that... but we were working around the clock. Like, <laughs> I mean, we were cleaning toilets, opening the space, closing the space, hosting events. You know, it was a wild, wild ride um, those first couple of years, um, especially those first six months of opening the coven. But even the six months before of opening the coven, while we were kind of raising a little bit of capital, we did some uh, crowdfunding okay. um, where kind of we resourced from our community. We pre-sold founding memberships, essentially, so that ah. we could have some capital on hand Good. in order to pay rent when the doors opened but it was okay. very it was like very tenuous right it was like we don't have a space yet we're asking people to pay for a <laughs> thing that doesn't <laughs> exist um we are uh kind of like faking it till we make it but we know that like if this didn't work out we would pay everybody back like there was just these so like so many chicken egg moments i mm. think if you're an entrepreneur you understand that greatly it's like totally. when do you spend when do you spend the money when do you hire the people when do you, you know, make the leap? When do you sign the lease? Like all of those were questions that we were asking between, I would say, June of 2017, all the way through opening day on March 9th of 2017. Did you, did you and your co-founder, is there just two, co- co- two co-founders? There's four, four of us. Did, did all four of you put in a little cash as well? Or, or you, or did you bootstrap and raise from friends and family and angel yeah. money or was it a mix for yeah yeah so in 2017 we just we just did crowdfunding and then we all put in sweat equity so okay. we were all kind of like working for free okay. um, to make this thing happen we yep. raised three hundred and fifty thousand dollars oh, via crowdfunding nice. um okay, which is cool. uh the most ever raised on the ifund women platform which is a crowdfunding platform specifically for women-owned business so, nice congratulations was that primarily used for the construction and the build out or what was that used for um, yeah, construction, build out furniture. Um, okay. It was for like the yeah. first couple of months of rent. Um, we really yeah. had like maybe six months of run. Thir- I would say we had like 12 months of runway when we first opened the doors. Um, but we got to guess- cash flow positive within 12 months. So oh, you was- did? Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, now, was that cash flow positive and paying yourself or cash flow positive still not paying yourself? <laughs> So we brought in a general manager um, and this kind of gets to why we've moved to a, um, a uh, franchise model, uh, but I can talk about that a little bit later, but um, yeah, we brought in a general kind of like a a couple of staff that first year um, to help kind of start to take over. So we were paying, you know, what we would have paid ourselves. We were paying other people to do that. Because because all of you were still doing other little side gigs or consulting or whatever to, to, Totally. Two of us were in the business full time and then two people had um, other like full time jobs. Um, Okay. And then but all of us had consulting things that we were kind of piecing together. This whole thing, I think being an entrepreneur, like especially women, (laughs) I think um, a lot of times when you look at 
entrepreneurship or like the stories of entrepreneurship it's like well this guy just like quit his job and like you know slept mm. in his car and like made this happen and the reality is it's like if you have a family if you have a obligations if you have like a house if you have a loan like if you live in an apartment like whatever it is that you have mm-hmm. like yep. you st- like you still have to pay the bills that's right and so <laughs> when whenever i hear investors talk about um how like they want their founders to be like all in and you know, mm-hmm. they have to, you know, quit their other thing. I'm looking at them going like, but with what money will they be living? Right. And <laughs> one of the one, another like uh, advisor, like someone that we've met along the way, um, uh, they gave us this advice around like pay yourself eventually, like when your business is able to sustain it, pay yourself enough so that you're not um, worried <laughs> every day. So that like, that financial burden that is like constantly in the back of your mind is not gnawing at you. Now that takes like discipline and cash flow discipline and mm-hmm. um, knowledge of finances and a really good accountant <laughs> and like some really good, like um, good folks around you. Yeah. But that's kind of how we've subscribed, you know, and it hasn't always been the case, right. It kind of ebbs and flows with the way that money has sure. gone with the pandemic. I mean, that was a huge thing. We didn't pay ourselves for two years after the pandemic. Like there's, been a few moments where we couldn't pay ourselves but in I'm the moments sure, that we in the moments I'm that we could we really really try to do it in a way that's like thoughtful so that we can focus on the business to continue now, to grow it for the listeners you started it in 2017 and then the pandemic yeah. uh, the pandemic comes march so i'm i'm just going to guess i'm going to guess tell me how off i am late 19 early January, February of 2020, you guys are like, wow, okay, we're starting to like this, this, this actually, this, this might work. Like we're, we're going to be okay. Boom. The pandemic comes and you're like, holy shit. Okay. Now, now. Yeah. That's exactly ha- what we said. Holy <laughs> shit was the word. Those are, took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. And then you're like laying in bed at night going, oh man. Okay. What is it? I guess I could go get my communications director job back. What am I going to do? Cause this, right. You had to have had those moments. I'm sure. We had so, 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 so many moments like that. I think, um, so we opened our second location in uh, January of 2020. So before we knew about the pandemic. 2019 was a really like strange year for us. We were fundraising. So we raised like a little pre-seed round. um, And we went to Silicon Valley for 12 weeks and did a whole accelerator. That was was a great experience probably, huh? great learning experience but on the first day i got on the plane with my co-founder bethany um in august of 2019 and we s1 had just come out that day and as we're reading their s1 which if you don't know they ipo'd or they tried, attempted to ipo in 2019 and their s1 which is basically like their entire like balance sheet and they talk about you know how the growth of the business and whatever it was a mess it was mm-hmm. like yep. it was insane it basically said like we've been burning money like just throwing it out the window <laughs> window and lighting it on fire and hosting giant you know parties and whatnot for millions and millions of dollars and like don't you want to invest in us and I was like (laughs) oh my god and so we're a co-working space and so to have that type of like that weight on our shoulders as we're walking into these like basically shark tank type rooms um where folks are like laughing us out of the room um (laughs) essentially being like like what about we work like you guys are just like a a lady we work you know like nobody could really put their heads around how, how we were going to be different than them or how we are different than them. Um, and we just kept pushing, like we're profitable. <laughs> like 
we are, we have a profitable model. Like we can make money. We know how to do this. We know how to grow. We know inclusion. We know how to build a space that is more than just um, desks. Um, and so that was a really like tough moment. Oh, yeah. um, but we had momentum. I mean, we had momentum, we had some money um, and we were building towards uh, St. Paul opening and our St. Paul, which is our second location opened late January of 2020. We hosted a huge event on March 9th of 2020. March um, 9th. The, wow. Which is also the first day that COVID hit Minnesota or that there was like a recorded case in Minnesota. Wow. So I'm like, I get on uh, Twitter and there's like a Twitter at the time now it's X, but um, I get on Twitter and I see uh, there's the first reported case in Minnesota and there's 300 people in my space. <laughs> and I'm like, huh. Okay, well, like, do we just like not touch each other or like, you know, don't look at anyone or like, do I wipe down all the surfaces? Yeah, what do you know, we like, do now? Yeah, we had no idea. So we had that event on the ninth. Oh, on the 10th, we had 1500 people in a um, at a like huge market. Um, I mean, it's just like a huge celebration. It was International Women's Day. We were celebrating uh, Women's History Month. Um, and then that like following Tuesday, we shut our spaces down and like didn't reopen for five months. So it was wild <laughs> wow. the fact that you guys it made it the fact wild. that you guys made it through that congratulations right now is probably a good time for us to give an overview uh of the coven is by the way for the listeners it's thecoven.com is the website um yeah. give us the for the for the listeners give us the elevator pitch real quick and, and tell the listeners uh, about the coven if you don't mind alex now's probably a good time yeah, so the Coven is a co-working community designed for belonging. And so we really think about how do you create physically and psychologically safe environments for all people to be a part of. We really center all of our experiences being that um, events, programming, in-person, co-working um, around women, non-binary and trans folks, but we are open to all genders. And so what's really beautiful about the space is it's really made with um, our most marginalized people in, in mind, but it's for everyone. And I think when people walk into the space, they feel like, wow, this space feels like mine. You know, we have men who walk in the space and go, I've never been in a place that smells so good <laughs> or like a place that, you know, is, is really caring for me as an individual workplace like that. And so um, we, on top of that, offer um, digital programming around leadership development and entrepreneurship. That's huh. accessible to all um, anyone, um, regardless cool. of whether you're in the in the physical community or not. And we're growing by by franchising. And I mentioned this a little bit um, earlier. So, meaning that you can open up a coven community in your neighborhood um, huh. and a place where um, you feel like um, needs a space for inclusion and co working. Very nice. What what made you decide to go the franchise route? How'd that come about? So. A couple of things. So one, um, you know, I mentioned kind of cash flow um, with the operations of a space. Um, it is, and you see this with WeWork, um, and a lot of co-working spaces are talking about this. Like it is not kind of like an, a set it and forget it <laughs> kind of investment, right? It is something that you have to continuously fill seats. You have to continuously fill memberships. Um, think of it more like a gym. And so we were looking at um, how memberships across a number of industries work. Um, and the franchising model allows you to be really community centric, um, which is what our business is all about. Us like plopping, you know, covens everywhere um, that are owned and operated here in the Twin Cities, but are existing in other places don't allow like the level of care and resource support um, that entrepreneurs really need on the ground. 
Um, so part of that uh, strategy is really to find folks who are community um, driven, are kind of uh, people capital investors um, in um, in their communities and, and allowing them to you know, open up their own spaces with the backing and infrastructure and marketing support um, from headquarters. So it's been a really cool journey. We have three franchisees already. Um, we just started doing this in the last year. That have opened um, or are in process of opening? We have two open and one opens in 2024. So we we have wow. five locations, um, which is really awesome. That's great. So two company owned and three fran franchise locations so far is what it'll be. Correct. So, okay. Correct. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing you guys own the real estate and the franchise just owns the operation or no. Say that again. Uh, I'm guessing that on the the franchise model is corporate owns the real estate, owns the building. And then, or, yeah, how are you doing that? No. So it, it, that is of interest to us down the road right now, because we are really focused on just supporting the entrepreneurs. We actually, the majority of people who have come in or all of the people who've come in as franchisees so far own their own buildings. And so they've been looking for, what do I do with this? Building? Oh, I see. I see. I see. Re commercial real estate is like bananas right now. Uh, <laughs> so, exactly. Uh, mm, okay. So it's a really great opportunity to fill those spaces. Um, we lease our spaces. And so I think there, that's a, a big opportunity. We're hearing from a lot of um, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. across the country who are interested in leasing. Um, and okay. so we're having both conversations with folks about how can we create kind of a uh, a diverse group of entrepreneurs who operate their spaces on a number of different levels. I see. Boy, we could talk about this, 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 yeah. release, this the commercial real estate business. We could do a whole hour episode on this, this topic based on everything that's going on. So you, the two corporate locations, those are leases. You guys didn't buy those buildings. So is, okay. Correct. Yeah. We didn't have enough capital to, to do that. And, you know, on top of that, then you're a landlord and that's a whole other it's a whole other business model. Yeah. You know, the commercial real estate, I don't know, man. I don't know about commercial. I don't know right now, you know, but what I do know is this, these office buildings uh, that have lost companies because people are working from home or working remotely or whatever, they are going to need options to convert or transition into something else if they're setting empty. And here you are now supplying an option. Right. I think absolutely. That's... OK, very good. Absolutely. Very good. Does it scare you what happened to WeWork and filing bankruptcy and all this stuff? Does that does that bother you? Do you, are you uh, what do you t when your investors call you nervous about, hey, man, do you hear what happened to WeWork? What, what are you guys saying? <laughs> well, you know, I don't think it scares us. I think any any startup is. I mean, and when I think about startups, I'm not talking about WeWork, but any startup has some level of like fear. If you're an entrepreneur sure, and you have no sure. fear, you're doing something wrong. Sure. <laughs> like, sure. You know, like every day you wake up and you go. Every day, like, every day, every day I wake up, every day I wake up. My wife always says, even if we're having a good month, you know, I'm still like nervous. My, my wife's like, we're having a great month. What's your problem? I'm like, I'm going to, we own a business. Like I'm, I'm scared every day. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, and you have a responsibility to your employees. You have a responsibility to the people, yes. you know, your customers. Like, there's just there's so much responsibility in, involved. So, like, yes, there yes. is always some level of fear. And when you hear the word bankruptcy, and when you see like a large player like that, that you know, hey, like someday we hope to grow to be large. Mm -hmm. But the way that they grew didn't make sense. They grew exactly. with a lot of leases. They grew with a lot of um, of debt. They grew with a lot of of like too much rapid growth. I mean, if you have, if you've ever been in like New York <laughs> and, um, in the height of WeWork, it was like, there was a WeWork on every block. It was essentially a subway. Like 
I don't understand how, like how that would have been sustainable. And and we saw that in 2019 when the S one came out, we saw that when we first started opening mm. um, and we looked ahead and went like, they're growing too quickly. Mm. Uh, and we could feel that. I think the only way they were able to do that was because they had just like goo gobs of money that they were just leveraging yeah. and leveraging debt and, and assets. But I mean, the reality is, is, um, you know, one one group that has done a really good job of growth or a different kind of growth um, is industrious. And they're growing with um, they're doing like asset management um, uh, instead of a traditional lease. They're doing like percentage of revenue or okay. management contracts and lots of different ways to structure how they're doing commercial real estate with mm-hmm. commercial real estate developers. And so it's something that we're looking at as we coach our franchisees on what are the best like leasing strategies it might not actually be a traditional lease, but it could be a percentage of revenue. Ah. It could be a okay. contract where it's essentially like you're the ma- the building manager and filling all of those spaces. Mm. Um, so it's a it's a wild west. But I think honestly, on the on the co working side of things, we actually have a lot to leverage because we have all of the people, and the building owners <laughs> need the people to fill their space. And so yes. there's a lot of like. I think there's a lot of upside. I think um, the cautionary tale of WeWork is, you know, when you like grow to be a bajillion dollar plus company, like the, y- y- there's some, there's gotta be something up with that where you're like, well, wait a minute, like, mm. what do you actually own? And a lot of it was like nothing. And so mm-hmm. I think the the fact that we're growing in this way, we've seen a lot of successful franchise type businesses that are able to grow thoughtfully, are able to grow in community, are able to grow with other entrepreneurs. I think the benefit of it is that we get to tap the the knowledge of local players and that it's not just us. And so kind of back to that, you know, community aspect of of, of my life and what, what I really value is the knowledge of others. Um, and so we get to tap into kind of the resources that exist in other communities that we wouldn't get to do um, if we just owned all of the spaces. Gotcha. Are you are you actively looking for uh, franchisees right now? Yes, we are. Um, and we've had so many wonderful conversations with people from across the country. We're in active conversations with 30 different states. Um, and so if oh. in your community, you're interested in opening a space like the Coven, it's, you know, between six and 8,000 square feet is what we're looking for. Okay. Um, we're looking for people who are entrepreneurs. If you own a building, um, that's a great way to, to utilize and fill your space. Um, we provide all of the infrastructure, the technology backing, the uh, marketing and, and assets that you need, um, the library of resources. And then you get us, like we're all marketers. We all come from advertising backgrounds. The benefit of having kind of a national, nationally recognized Fortune Inc., um, all kinds of things um, and really building the future of work. Let me ask you, I don't know how much to eat. I know we, we're, we're bumping up on our time here, but real quickly, um, okay. do they just need to go to thecoven.com and then fill out the contact uh, us page or what do you prefer for people yeah. interested to get in? You can check out thecoven.com slash franchise. There's a downloadable PDF there that walks okay. through kind of the timeline of franchising and what it looks like and some of the cost implications and things. Um, and then we have a form right in there that you can tell us a little bit about yourself and about your community and why you want to open a coven. We talk to everyone who submits that form. So as long as you're willing to to have the conversation, fill it out and, and learn a little bit more. Very good. One more question. Um, I guess the cost to get started really is going to depend on the build out and what's already there, sure. right? If it's a shell versus what is it? What was it? I mean, I mean, that's going to vary pretty widely, I would think. 
It really does. And if you buy a building or you own a building, that's different. You know, if you uh, walk into a building that is like turnkey, which there's a lot of real estate out there right now that are just empty offices, which already have offices built out, already have restrooms, plumbed, kitchens, those types of things. So I would say like, if you're looking, like look for those types of properties that are are kind of desolate and, and open um, and available. Um, but that's... our franchise fee is 50,000 to get involved. And then it's 10% um, uh, gross revenue um, monthly. So it's a pretty like reasonable entry entry rate. And then are again, you, it depends on the market. Are you open to negotiating that 50 grand? Can they pay it out over time or they got to write the check up front? <laughs> well, right now we, we write the check up, we write the check up front and it allows us to, you know, pour into you with our resources. Okay. Um, I do think for the listeners, I'm not a commercial real estate uh, expert, but I've, I have a lot of friends that are, and I think there's opportunity here. I think there's some low hanging fruit. I think I think when the interest rates pop and some of these interest rates swing up on some of these people that are in these commercial buildings and they they lose them or they have to file bankruptcy or walk away from these office buildings, there's somebody's chance to swoop in, grab that space, then call you, open up the, uh, the coven, boom, they're off to the races and probably got a Absolutely. pretty good deal, I would think. I think so too. Yeah, I really do think so. And those are the, some of the conversations, most of the conversations we're having right now are with building owners um, okay. who are like, good. come good. help us design this yep. thing. Yes, yes. No doubt. Because yeah. there's, a, there, I can I can guarantee you there are commercial owners right now setting in empty spaces, thinking to themselves, holy crap, what are we going to do? And so, uh, you know. And there's kind of this owner operator model, right? So like you could be the building owner and hire a general manager, or yeah. you could be the building owner and have a partner, mm. a business partner who wants to operate the space every day. Cause typically right. it's like the building owner is like, I don't want to run the co-working space. Um, yeah. but if you can find either find a franchisee to do it and help them help support them in their growth um, or bringing on a general manager to really run the day-to-day -day of the space, there's lots of ways to work this. And we've seen it in all, like differently in all three of our franchisees. Um, so it's great to have some good learnings and, and we're happy to share more. The franchises that opened, are they in Minnesota or out of state? We have two um, in Minnesota and one in Wisconsin that just opened a couple weeks ago. Um, and that was actually an existing co-working space um, that rebranded. And so they were able to open within like just a couple of months of, uh, of signing the contract. And we were able to get them up and running pretty quick. Pretty cool. I'm going to ask you a funny question because when I looked up the coven, because uh, I actually didn't know that, uh, shame on me for being ignorant of this. I was showing my Oklahoma education here. Uh, I didn't know the coven stood for the gathering or the group grouping or gathering of people. But when I looked it up, it said the, the old school definition was the gathering uh, uh, of something with witches, gathering of witches yeah. back in the old day. <laughs> And I read, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at Google. I'm like, what? what? Really? Okay. Well, yeah, gonna, it's a little witchy. That, was, yeah. And I was like, so if you look just, at our logo, it's a V, but if you flip it upside down, it's a witch at. Um. Oh, oh, so I didn't even catch um, that. That's so well, funny. It's kind of fun. It's a little tongue in cheek. And so the word con coven comes from the word to convene or to gather. And so we really right. do believe in the power and energy and magic when people come together uh, in community. Um, and okay. so, and we, we don't mind that it has a little bit of teeth. I think it's a bit yeah. self-selecting. <laughs> I thought it was cool. I mean, I thought it was cool. Like I seriously, I was like, Oh, well, that's kind of neat. I wonder what the story is. I wonder that it made me, it made me immediately go, okay, what's going on here. I didn't catch the hat though with the V. Damn it. I should have caught it. Kind of like mind. a fun little, like quiet. If you know, you know, cool. You know? <laughs> cool. All right. <laughs> I like it. Uh, Alex, uh, congratulations on everything you guys are doing, uh, you know, and uh, surviving COVID. 
Uh, now you're going to, you're going to pick up some of the scraps left behind by WeWork and probably open up some more, more locations, which I think there's not going to be some opportunity for you there. Um, um, congrats to you and your, your co-founders, your other three co-founders and the investors. Nice job. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. It was great to chat with you.